Well, thank you so much, Karen, for joining me today. Very excited to talk about everything Return is doing, what it's building, what it's what it's trying to build, its sort of mission and overall vision. Uh, but before Return Protocol, talk a little bit about your journey and your path to to starting it and your path as as a founder. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for having me. Excited to, to be on. Path has been like pretty windy, <laughs> like for the most <laughs> founders. So started when I was like 18, I guess, was like looking at, at going to like university or whatever and decided not to. And so I ended up through like a few like random strokes of joining Tesla. And I was at Tesla for two years. Um, and this was sort of in Europe when, when Model 3 had just launched. And so there was like a lot of opportunity to like try new things and do cool stuff. And regardless of like experience levels, because it was more so like, do we have someone with hands and feet <laughs> compared <laughs> nice, to yeah. do we have someone qualified? And so I love that. And so I ended up sort of, I started literally the only way I could I could start with Tesla was with no degree was just like selling because I could talk to people. Um, and like eventually sort of ended up working on some operational projects, but through the delivery launch of Model 3 and sort of in, in Europe and the UK. And then decided to, to move on, gosh, in late 2020, no, a little while, probably late 2020. Um, and sort of alongside that for a little while, I'd, I'd been sort of moonlighting with a company called Lasso, who was sort of building a hardware recycling device that goes in your kitchen to sort of create this like alternative recycling stream to the municipal system to like enable 100% closed loop recycling. Um, so worked on that for sort of three years actually, sort of ended up uh, as a COO for a little while and then moved on from there in layer, moved on from there for about 18 months ago um, and, and sort of through both places really highlighted we was on projects for both to try and figure out how we could use carbon credits to give to the consumers of the products to incentivize them to buy them yep. um, because both of them were, were applicable for that and found it very difficult. And then sort of through that, sort of went down the rabbit hole of like on-chain carbon and that sort of in theory solved those problems. And so that sort of long story short, how it, how it eventually led into starting return. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's always an interesting road to, to get to where we are now. When thinking about building something, when you make, when you sort of go down that road of making a decision, I guess, what was the thought process like? Was there any aha moment where, you know, you said, okay, I want to build return. I want to build something that scales socially and in, scales incentivizing climate action, you know, with blockchain and Web3. Like, I guess, how do you get to that point? What was that thought process of, of building it? Was it somebody that talked to you about it? Was it a friend network? I guess, how did you even come up with the, sort of this idea to do it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think initially, I, well, very initially, so I've always had the founder itch. And I yep. think in my head, I've always been like going through these like different routes to like prepare myself to be a founder. Mm. But then like in reality, as you know, nothing prepares you to be a founder. And so I think that was like in my head, like justification. But honestly, I, I think when, when I was preparing to start Return, I sort of naturally sort of been thrown into like the on-chain carbon space per se and was like very motivated to try and attack the problem that had, had like originally presented itself, which was like, how can you scale, how can you scale climate action to such a point where it like, it becomes a default rather than like a luxury. Mm -hmm. um, right. And that was, that was really like the, the spark that, that drove the initial idea, I guess. And, and the way the initial idea formed was honestly just like watching. So this was probably when Klima and Tukin just launched of like watching that like eruption of like activity and then talking to a lot of people that had just come into the space and trying to understand like what they really wanted and like what like what climate people had used to or did want did they want to take climate action probably yes but then like what the people that didn't want to take climate action wanted <laughs> right <laughs> no it's a great it's a great it's a great question to ask perfect yeah because yeah. i feel like the most most things out there right now 
are tailored more so to like that early adopter than like the mass the mass yep. scale. And that was really our initial spark, which was like, how can we really help scale this? And that that was really the, uh, I guess, the value we, we thought we could create. Yep, that's great. Let's get into what return actually is or in what it plans to sort of be. And like you said, I think it's perfect when we, because we, sometimes we get in the vacuum, right? We're sort of you know in our own space, in our own sector, and then we don't think outside of it. And that's kind of where the growth can really sort of happen. I guess if you're explaining return to maybe a person that's not in the climate space or dedicating their day-to-day life within, whether it's the refi space or the climate tech space or the conservation space, you know, outside of your network, when somebody asks you, hey, what, what, what is return? <laughs> what are you building? How do you explain it to them? That's a great question and so true. <laughs> I feel like we get up, caught up in like our own like buzzwords and like our own little echo chambers that like you don't really remember that like most people don't understand that. <laughs> and so, or, or they don't align with it. And so, um, so the way we, I would usually explain return is we feel that the large problem one of the large problems that exists with consumer with consumers in general that have the options to take climate action and don't is that really like why do you do anything and and the the two things we came back to is you do things when you get a benefit and the benefit we we felt that a lot of people had tried to attack was like payment and we we didn't feel that like a sustainable process could exist to pay someone to do something good Right. And so we sort of felt like, how can you really make it attractive for someone, for an individual to do something good for the planet, such as what return initially is, which is buying carbon credits, and which are like a way to help fund carbon projects on the ground that like sequester carbon from the atmosphere. And so we very much felt that the one niche that we could attack to start with was social proof. And luckily enough, these tools had started to form that allowed you to create like a very transparent, auditable, like I digital identity almost but that res- like represents your real your real sort of life climate impact so with that premise being like in the world eventually that as like real world as the real world in general intersects with digital like when our lives as they are already more aligned with like our digital identity than our in-person identity could we leverage that whole landscape to help people want to take climate action and so that's what return is is we're a platform and um, people can go onto the platform see real world climate projects that they'd like to support and then they can create an impact identity which is this digital form of themselves we're trying to make it and then they can customize it and get, and play with their friends and sort of gamify things for themselves to really like understand and, and make it more of a collaborative fun social event rather than just oh, i've i've just offset my personal emissions which, which we feel is mm-hmm. fine but yeah. sort of misses the large point that like again coming from the tesla angle like People don't buy Teslas. Some people do, but the large proportion of people don't buy Teslas because they're cool. Oh, it's better. Because they're sustainable. They buy them because they're like a great product and they're Mm -hmm. fast and they're fun. And that's sort of roughly where we're trying to go to is can we make a platform that's like really fun to to be on and like engage with that by default means you can do it. And so so right now, sort of incentivizing with sort of the digital passport, you know, feature and idea, as you go down you go down further in the path of just building out a product and a platform, there's going to be so many different different ways to make things happen, I guess, and make decisions on, hey, let's implement this feature and this feature and this feature. <laughs> I guess, what? how do you and the team think about like adding new features and building the product in your 
obviously in the early stages and still building foundationally. But how do you think about actually building features for the products? Is it is it feedback from users? Is it feedback from investors? I guess, how do you go about building a product? Like, what's your philosophy there? That's such a great question. And I'd be interested in your thoughts as well. Because I think it's, it's such a, it's very, very. So I think what we've sort of come up against a little bit is like, with anything consumer, you sort of end up in this space of like, you are attacking a problem, but like, it's not the traditional startup model where you're like, you're a B2B company, there's a business that has this problem, you've got a solution, you'll sell them the solution and you scale from that. Not that that's easy because that everything is hard. <laughs> sure, that's yeah, yeah. The traditional like, and so we sort of struggled a little bit in the early days anyway, to like merge the two of like, we're somewhat trying to build build something that people don't necessarily know they need or know they have the problem for. But then, like I say, we do also have these early users that like are amazing and have these really great input points. And so we've tried to strike this balance between, I'm still very much work in progress, of what do users tell us that they really want? And then also, what does the data of, of the usage of the platform show that people want? And then like the third pillar, which is like, what do we think people will want in the future? And we found that very hard to balance. <laughs> yeah. like with any team, more than one person, um, everyone has opinions. And like in those early days, like you say, when you do have data, that's great, but largely it's based on opinion. And so it's very much, we've tried to get super disciplined, at like building out a product roadmap, building out a pipeline of like feature improvements and like, what is a feature? What is a bug? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the scope creep and bugs become features and features become products and, and then you have to do something different. So that's been our, like, how we try to reverse it. We'll be interested in how your, your two cents on that. You mentioned users log into the platform and I guess their first step is, is just buying carbon credits, right? At sort of a foundational level. Where does those carbon credits come from? I guess, who do you, who are you partnering with to actually for the supply part of it? Yeah, so we, um, the only carbon credits, we're sort of in a pilot stage right now. So the only carbon credits we've provided access to as a pilot stage are the ones we could easily access. So the ones yep. we can easily access at the moment are through Tukin's carbon bridge. And yep. so we've sort of, we selectively redeem the, the top two, three projects within Nature Carbon Ton, that's the Tukin token. And we also, it depends upon the community campaign you go for. So with the return campaign, that's the, the sort of generic basic choice. Yep. Um, or we've, we've just launched a Polygon campaign. And Polygon, are sort of um, as part of their whole scheme and, and strategy, did include some sort of debatably higher quality credits um, in soil carbon from Nori. Um, and so you, you yep. sort of have the option of either going for the return campaign or the Polygon campaign at the moment. And the Polygon campaign gives you some soil um, some soil projects um, from farmers on the ground. Or the sort of return campaign gives you typically sort of afforestation, forestry projects. His return raised a, a little bit of money recently. So congratulations. Congratulations there. Thank you. What was that process like raising for a, you know, it's sort of Web3 climate gamification you know because there's just not many out there <laughs> right that kind of that are kind of attacking it from your from your angle i guess what was the process like fundraising for something that is not really a comp to right now or yet we got really lucky that we <laughs> met the right people at the right time the, the very like brief fundraising story is that we weren't planning to raise um we were okay sort of testing the thesis a little bit and then looking to go from there but luckily enough we sort of met um 
met a, a really amazing investor that sort of supported us all the way called Ed from Allegory. Um, and he was very much like the first guy who was like, I would love to, to help support. <laughs> and that made us think, well, maybe we should raise some more. <laughs> and so that was then like the forming of the round. But like in answer your question, like, it was really difficult at points. We, we raised just before the downturn. Yeah. And so we were vaguely lucky in that regard. But honestly, it's, it's very much like, and we were pre-seed. And so it was very much about like, what is this like really bold vision that we're trying to paint? And like, how do we make it like understandable? Because like when it's a consumer thing, I feel that it's probably a little bit harder because in theory, everyone is a consumer. And so right. the investor is like, would I buy this thing? But when it's like a, a SaaS tool, they don't need to because they wouldn't buy a thing anyway. And so um, we found that quite an interesting like picture to paint. Yeah, but got there in the end. <laughs> but yeah, did did find it a lot of like, the vision um what does this look like in 10 years time as most pre-seeds do um sure. yeah for like consumer pre-seeds especially like you say web3 consumer digital identity pre-seeds um which there aren't that many of so i think i think the really cool part about all of this is the incentivizing and sort of the this rewards model you know eventually how can that become the real attraction i love to just double click on that for a second and just what what are some of the interesting incentives and rewards that could come down the line right for for users eventually because i think this is the this is the real path where i think really interesting things could happen yeah no i completely agree and it's for us we're like like at this initial starting stage where you really don't have the network effects you're really just trying to like get get the initial user base and, and so that's really where we're at the really exciting things for us, we think, like you say, as you can do more with that digital identity. And so you could totally see a world where you taking climate action or like, first of all, like not only the fact that you've done this thing, like buying carbon credits gives you a digital identity, like mm-hmm. you could see a world where everybody has a digital identity and like automatically you could see all of your emissions in like an accounting model, everything you've done, everything you haven't done, like what are the things you could do, what are they not? And so we think like that as a step one, where your digital identity sort of draws in all of that data could be super cool. And then that opens up a whole world of opportunity where you can have that like in the Web3 space specifically, you can have specifically like sustainable user gated things. Mm -hmm. You can then have real world gated things. So such as like the typical like gifting models and and cool cards and and all of that good stuff. And then you could eventually get to this point where like buy us some really lucky but good network effects you have this like core community of sustainable people. And I don't, uh, our like very audacious, like bold long-term goal is like a little bit, I don't know if you follow Yes Theory at all on YouTube, um, but there's this really cool community where they brought like, I think they're like 8 million subscribers or whatever, but bring this like really cool core group of people together that all believe in this like one thing, which is for them is like seeking discomfort and like that thought process. And so for us, you could totally see a world where like, bringing sustainable people together where it eventually becomes the standard for like social intervention and activity could just drive mass adoption of everyone to do that thing. And then that like is the snowball for like every company wants to be sustainable. Every company wants to support sustainable things. You as a user are innately better off having this like impact identity to your name. I don't know, in a, like an end state world, do you get a better credit rate? Do you get a better, mm-hmm, do you get mm-hmm. better like real world things that you need as a human being? <laughs> Can yeah. that benefit you from being sustainable? And even in even simpler forms, right? Just access to in real life, yeah, you know, things, 
right? And I love when we can merge, you know, the digital Web3 environment into the real world. You know, I know uh, some people don't love that, you know, but I think that's... I think when you talk about community, I think it's still, as humans, we, we still connect so much better in real life. And I think in to build, you know, a really real community that's based on similar values and, and similar visions, that real world variable is like so important still, I think. I couldn't agree more. And like, I, I feel like in Web3, we typically get caught up in like this like this echo chamber bubble like we said earlier but like at, at the end of the day most people maybe as, as the future in the future more will but like most people do have to have like a, a not digital life and so mm-hmm. the, yeah the, the point when you can like make that a part of your experience innately becomes a better user experience for the customer or like for your community member rather than like having to hang around in discord don't know about you i really dislike using discord mm-hmm. <laughs> like something real life would be great yeah um, yeah yeah no totally totally i'd like to i usually like to end a little bit of like the future and i know you know so early on you know mm-hmm. pre-seed funding like building out foundational tech at the moment you know building out features like we're started at the really really early stages which is a fun time right to be in yeah but as you look, you know, maybe three to five years down the line where the functionality gets more serious, you know, you're really building out a high-end product that that hopefully scales and, and gets, you know, some level of mass adoption. I guess, what are some of the goals and successes you would like to see in the next three to five years? Will it be building out certain things, with onboarding people? I guess, what do you, t- you what do you you and the team talk about, you know, as a long-term vision? That's a really great question. I think the long-term vision of what we're doing is how can you integrate this more with the person's everyday life, the Mm -hmm. point where everything's automatic. And so I think you could totally see an end state in three to five years where you have this digital identity that sort of has somewhat merged a little bit with your input, like with your your regular everyday identity. And that like your actions on a day-to-day basis are represented in this like scorecard identity thing. And then from that, like you then have this like suite of incentivization tools that you can plug into, like for example, it's a very random case, but like, (laughs) for example, if you decide to bike instead of car today, like Mm. bike to work instead of driving, do you get like three bucks off your sandwich right. at lunchtime? Like, right. is there a world where we can like really seamlessly tie action, like cause to effect of your like life? And that's really what motivates us at the moment. And like, we have a lot of conversations like that. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, also quite challenging, like bring that down build stuff. But um, yeah, like in an end state, you could totally see that becoming like, like a thing that should exist in the world. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the end state. Well, thank you so much, my man. Thank you. I know you're busy. You're, you're deep into building at the moment every day. Thanks for taking the time and best of luck for, for you and the team for, for the next decade, my man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome to, to chat. And yeah, big fan of the podcast. Yeah, great, great to be on.